There are certain like, genuinely evil people who do not hesitate to sacrifice entire nations to further and maintain their hold on power. And that to have some kind of civil discussion about this is so missing the mark, it's not even funny. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months, and then 1.5% back forever after. And also, for every dollar you spend over 50000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack sats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it's Casa. Whether you've just bought your first sats or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12 Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also today, we have BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking, and if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. 
Now, if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Did you get any new tattoos since we last spoke? That might be new. What's that? That's a low... Are you into hardcore metal? God, no, no. It's a band called The Ghost Inside. Okay. I got this done in a gang zone in El Salvador. Did they acknowledge that you got the tattoo? The band? Yeah. Well, I know them. So oh, she, that means a lot. That's nice. Yeah. I like that. So what happened was um, I used to have this other podcast where we wanted to do non-Bitcoin things. And I was into this band called The Ghost Inside. Just a quick story is hardcore metal band. Most of them never get that successful. They did. They blew up on their fourth album. It went to number uh, 30 in the Billboard, which is massive. That's, for a, that's a big deal, yes. For a band that screams. Uh, they start touring the new album. Um, actually, here, Lubbock, they left Lubbock, Texas, and in the middle of the night, their tour bus hit an 18-wheeler head-on. Oh, my God. Yeah. The driver of the bus died. Uh, the driver of the lorry died. Drummer lost his leg. Singer oh was in a coma. It was terrible. And so you, the assumption is they're done as a band. And then about... <laughs> About a year later, a year and a half later, there's a video of the drummer just hitting a drum. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And so basically it takes them four years for the band to get back together and they announced this show in Los Angeles. Uh, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going. I don't know why I need to be at this. So I basically arranged my travel. So I was there. So I went to the concert. And then about six months after, I was like, I, I think I want to tell this story. So I reached out to the band. I was like, can I tell the story? And they said, yeah. So we made a a four-part podcast, and I became quite good friends with the bassist, and now uh, if they're playing anywhere, I go and see them. So I saw them in Boston and like, hung out with them, and uh, <clears throat> I went to El Salvador to make a documentary, and it was uh, went into one of the gang zones with like armed guards, and I hadn't thought of the tattoo I was going to get, and I was like, oh, I've got this space here, and I was like, do you know what, I'll get that. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> yeah. So that's the that's the last. Does one. that also mean you don't have to like the band to like the story of resilience? It's an incredible yeah. story. I mean, they they're playing they they play about four concerts a year now. It's hard, of course. The, drum, yeah. the drummer has one leg, so yeah. it wasn't a full reunion. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, his dad is actually a fascinating story. His dad created this thing called. His dad was felt so bad that he went into the garage and he basically made this thing called the hammer because he plays a double bass drum mm -hmm. that meant with this stump that he could play the, the drums. And uh, But there's a lot of pressure on them like playing concerts. It's hard work. Of course, yeah. So they, Especially with that speed. Yeah, but they've got two coming up. They're playing Brixton Academy in the UK. Oh, we need to check that date on our travel. Um, they're playing Brixton Academy in London, which is the best venue in London. And then they're playing Donington Monsters of Rock. Which would be cool. That's 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 great. I love that hearing that. Um, how you doing? Are you settled here? I uh, I am yes, very much so. Missing New York? Not in this. Not for one second. But I'm rooting for COVID. <laughs> I had to uh, I had to cancel a trip that I had booked to take my daughter there for her birthday, and we were going to. I was taking her to see uh, Billie Eilish at Madison Square Garden. Oh, sure. Couldn't go because uh, you had to be vaccinated, and even if I wanted to, her to be, she was 11 when we were going. So we had to cancel the whole trip. Was she disappointed? I hope you made up to her. I mean, yeah, of course I made up to her. Okay. She devastated though. I mean, can you imagine at 11 going to New York to watch Billie Eilish? Well, I mean, I was 11 in New York and okay. it was a beautiful, magical place. And now it's 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 like a zombie. Like a, You know, like the premise of a zombie is it's this animated corpse of something that once was a living thing. And that is what New York has become. And, and uh, 
you, you know, uh, it, it's just very hard. It was very hard as a lifelong New Yorker uh, to watch that happen. Do you think it will come back? Uh, not, the, not for at least 15 years yeah. uh, because none of the mechanisms are in place to reverse the ship. Yeah, there was some hope. And also, that- sorry, lots of people who would have been there to have righted the ship have left, including myself my, and my whole crew. Yeah, a lot of people of my friends moved to Miami. Yeah, it's Miami and Austin. Yeah, uh, there was hope with Eric Adams, right? No, I mean, for five minutes. There was hope he wasn't going to be as bad as de Blasio, but that I think lasted like literally five minutes. So we were there, I think it was a trip after the one where I saw you last. And um, the thing that blew my mind is the... No, I have no issue with drugs, but the open drug selling in Times Square, I was just like, how is this happening? I, I don't, that's as, not as bad as the open crime in Times Square. Like there were people getting killed, daylight, you know, robbed. Um, that is, takes me back to the 90s and not in, in it's the worst aspect of the 90s. Yeah, well, what was it like in the 90s? Because the first time I went to New York was uh, 2000, 2002. I went after 9-11. That's correct, 2000. Was it 2001, 9-11? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so I went in 2002. You don't remember what year 9-11 was? Well, I was trying to remember. <laughs> Good Lord. Was how, old, how old are we? I, I got it, I got are, it. are we both the president? I got it right. <laughs> like, it's just, I just shot my pants. I got it right. You did, you I, I did, did get it right. I got it right. But you were unsure. Well, I just had to double check. Um, <laughs> but when I was there, I was told. And it was September 11th, not I, August, not I October. Know. You got the month right and the date. 9-11, got, I okay, remember yes, that. Yes, yes. Uh, a very tragic day. I was a lot t- of Muslims died that day. They did. A lot of Americans died yeah. that day. Um, I was told it was really bad in the 90s, but I've got like no perception of what it was like. I- I'll tell you what it was like. I remember it very vividly. Um, you you couldn't have, this is before you know, MP3s, you couldn't have your Walkman on the subway with the headphones or your wallet because there'd be groups of teenagers who would go from the train car to car and if they saw your wallet bulging or your, your Walkman, they'd rob you. And it was like on the street, like people, this happened to me, let's suppose three years ago. And I'm like, oh, I haven't experienced this since the 90s. You'd be walking, someone will sidle up to you and they'll start telling you a story with their hand in their pocket. And it'll be a story about how they're broke and how you know they just need 20 bucks, but it's not really a story, it's a threat. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're giving me this money, but then they have the plausible deniability that it's, um, you know, a, a charitable thing you're doing voluntarily. So that was something that they did. Also, just this kind of um, vibe about when people are acting in ways completely beyond the pale that no one seems to care. Uh, I was laughed at on Twitter a bit because last summer I moved to Austin uh, in August of 2021. Before that, I was on the subway and twice within one week, I saw people smoking on the subway, which I hadn't seen in, in decades. And people were like, oh, you know, uh, just deal with it. You're such a crybaby. And I go, well, first of all, why am I dealing with anything? <laughs> Number one, like why do I have to deal with the slightest little thing? Two is I remember because one day it's smoking cigarettes, the next day it's people getting the crap kicked out of me. I mean, the, the way that slope is slippery, it's just overnight. And that's happened since you have shelves are bare, uh, you know, people, shoving people into the tracks at higher rates, just pissing on the train, pissing on the train. Even that I could wrap my head around in in terms of, okay, that's gross, but it's not scary. Right. Right, Okay. Um, But you know, the level, what started happening was people would just start blasting their music on the subway and no one seemed to mind. And what that tells you is if they're not going to enforce this very basic type of behavior, 
you know, where, at what point do people step in? Another thing, like, you know, you'll have these busy subway stations like Union Square or 30, or Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, and you'll have one staircase for everyone to get onto the train in, into the station. So it's over. And people just sit on the staircase, which is like two people wide and just, just sit there. What I used to do is I'd have a, soup, a shopping bag. I'd walk by them, I'd accidentally hit them in the head. Um, <laughs> but the point is when you have rush hour and you're, people just sit there blocking and, and no one would, nothing would be done about this. And all these little cues in of themselves are, are not a big deal, but they're all indicative of, all right, like no one is interesting in managing this and i say this of course as an anarchist yeah so how have you taken to texas because even even in new york's prime it's still a very different place from texas yeah so i am you know people laugh and they say oh you moved to the san francisco of texas which might be true austin might be san francisco by texas standards but it's not san francisco by san francisco standards no. by any means um i am here because again all my friends moved here i absolutely love it uh, there are certain things that I'm, I'm missing about not living in a big city, but there's certain, the, the thing that's the most important, in my opinion, about Austin, as opposed to New York, is the trajectory. So it be all of us, I think many of us can remember when you're young and you're starting to make it, even though you may have $500 in your bank account, it's still going the right direction and it's exciting, as opposed to, let's say, if someone had been making it and now they're going down and now they only have 500 in their bank account. Those are very different phenomena, right? So Austin is very much a place where things are happening. There's an excitement in the air. There's a camaraderie with people that you meet. Whereas with New York, there was this pervasive sense of uh, anxiety and, and tension, which I don't miss for a second, which I didn't realize to what extent had been there. Yeah, so we travel a lot with this. We've um, we've obviously done New York, uh, a place I used to love. We did LA. Uh, LA's LA has its issues, but it's kind of fine because you can. It's quite spread out, so you can just go sure. and be on your own. We went to San Francisco after that. Our rental had its window smashed right outside a restaurant. We actually made it. Do you remember we made a joke of it? What was the joke? So well, no. Uh, before we went to the restaurant, I said we'll probably come out. Oh, the, window, yeah, yeah. the window we smashed came out was smashed. I mean, San Francisco is unfucking believable. Uh, we've been here for a month and it's it's definitely my favorite. Yeah. It's a great place. What what do you miss though about New York? I not uh, I well I miss all the little establishments that gave New York its character were destroyed by the covid lockdowns. Yep. So that little boutique, that little restaurant, that little ice cream shop, that little music store, they're all gone. Uh, if you'd walk in like Park Slope, which was like a very kind of fancy neighborhood in Brooklyn, you'd see stores that have been there since the 70s, you know, family owned, they're all gone. So it, there are some people who might tell you that New York would be better with more targets. I'm not one of them. Um, so and my daughter would agree. Is, is she would want more targets. She likes target. She, there's an, there's enough of them. Uh, and the thing is, she wouldn't know what to like because she didn't know those places were there until she went to New York. Right. That's what made it kind of special. Um, the so that is something that I missed, but I missed it while I was there. I missed the fact that there were scenes or people doing exciting things and you would meet cool people that had, you were not meeting anyone uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and now if I'm a young person who's an innovator in any capacity, why on earth would I move to New York? Like it, all the decks would be stacked against me and there'd be very little upside. Well, that's why I think you've had a large group of people who've moved here, yeah. moved to Miami. You get the benefit of a more open society and lower tax. Right, and lower rent. Lower rent. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I have a townhouse here. 
I've never compared the two. We're just traveling. Well, we'll find out when we book New York, I mm-hmm. guess. We wouldn't get this. We wouldn't get this property. So anyway, listen. Um, no, you listen. Oh, you, you listen. <laughs> you listen. Uh, when I last met you, obviously the world was a crazy place. Lots mm. of weird shit going on. And it seems to get crazier. I mean, what was it, six months ago? Yeah, it seems to get crazier. By the way, I've noticed your increase in trolling on Twitter. How's it in- I increased? What do you mean? I think your velocity. Oh, yeah, yeah, not, not the volume. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've noticed that happening. Um, you as an anarchist, how do, how do you look at this all? Because with this podcast, we look at uh, all uh, ideas of politics. We look at democracy, we look at anarchism, we talk to libertarians. Are you just kind of like laughing and just seeing the the fall of the state? How how are you looking at everything that's happening? Because it's I'm, getting weird. I'm I'm less. I don't think the state is falling, but I think what I'm very excited about is the increasing at a exponential rate of people's faith in these depraved institutions that have for so long controlled and governed society. Um, it's th- and let's look at the state. Yeah, um, to have a governing coalition to send us into another war uh, at this point seems almost impossible. Uh, It would have to take a 9-11 type event, God forbid. And even then, I don't know if there would be enough uh, room for it to happen. So you basically had, if President Trump Let's suppose for some reason he we needed to go to there's some country where things are really, really bad, but you would have half the country just on its face saying under no circumstances. And now, you know, with President Biden in Ukraine, even among Democrats, there is not this heavy ep- ep- um, appetite for boots on the ground. Among Republicans, it's a complete non-starter. I think that's a very healthy thing, that it's going to take a lot to get us to get into our imperialist phase, uh, which I'm very gladdened by. The fact that uh, corporate journalists are now, uh, you know, repudiated to their face on the streets. You watch all these newscasts and now they can't edit around because everyone has their own camera. And could, before the um, interview even goes out on their network, it's live instantly on Twitter or on Instagram stories. That is something I'm very excited about. And I think is very healthy. The fact that the number of homeschooling kids has increased at exponential rate. The fact that school choice state by state is increasing at an exponential rate, getting children out of government schools, which are literal prisons for kids. These are all metrics that I'm very excited about. And and something where I think I disagree with many other people, I think the mask of authority has dropped. So you are seeing an increase of the heavy hand of authoritarianism, you know, in like Denmark and places like this, you see old people getting beaten by police on horseback until they're bloody and so on and so forth. But the point is that authoritarianism has always been there. And now it's just being more honest. And when authoritarianism has to show its hand, that alienates a big part of the middle, because I don't have to have any political view one way or another. If I see a priest getting handcuffed for having a prayer service, the vast majority of people, Republican, Democrat, whatever they are, are going to be like, all right, I don't know what's going on here with something. We, we went way off the rails. So one of the things um, when talking to people like yourself about this or any of the other guests, I had Scott Horton on recently. He was great. Um, I've always tried, and I think it might be a mistake. I've always tried to ask them or pos- ask them to discuss an idea of the f- function in society they want. But and I always get to the point where I think, well, we're so far from that. If how, we, how are we so far from it? Well, so if we had complete collapse in, of the state, we had no state. What how would society function? But actually, what I'm taking from what you're saying now is, 
in some ways, the transition away from institutions is a more, more productive area of discussion rather than talking about the big red button and what would happen, how would things function? Well, I mean, I could tell you to you very easily if the US, the fiat money, the Fed collapsed, right? In the short term, there'd be a massive problem. That's not even a question. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, if this transitioned everyone to Bitcoin and other digital currencies, you, you would surely agree this would be a wonderful thing, right? Just Bitcoin. Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> fine. Uh, I'll, I'll sell my ether immediately. Point point being that there are other much healthier alternatives that are already in place uh, that are much more uh, friendly toward the population, much less susceptible to control by malevolent, depraved people, and that's what makes me um, excited. No, I, I mean I agree with you, but what I'm thinking is. In terms of transition, I don't see a complete collapse of the state immediately. Oh, I agree with you. And so if we don't have a complete collapse of the state, we have an evolution of the state, I don't know what it becomes. But but, but is it more of an anarchist? It, it, are you more interested in ideas that push people towards anarchist ideas rather than a complete anarchist state? Do you see, I, what, I, do you see I, what I'm asking? It's like the Catholic Church, Yeah. right? So centuries ago, the Pope had armies, he had torturers, uh, and he was engaged in a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. Now he's got Vatican City, which is a micronation. He's got his, you know, his Royal Guard, he's got his Pope Mobile, he issues his proclamations. The Pope is not really someone that you or I are concerned with. He says a lot of things you like, he says a lot of things I like, he says a lot of things you don't like, he says a lot of things you, you don't like as well. The point being, he's not in a position to impose his worldview onto populations, right? Uh, other than through persuasion and, and, and so on and so forth. If the state got to a point where you know you have people who really believe in Washington and Washington saying you should do this and that, whereas we all had control over our money, that's not anarchism. But I'm fine with that. It's like oh, you know, so President, you know, McCormick said today we got to do this, this, and this. Oh, cool, cool. That's nice. And it's and you know, it's just like the Pope. Like you issue this proclamation, you have your point of view. I'll take it under advisement, but I'm going to do what I want, live peacefully, and, and and treat people well. So that is, I think a much more realistic medium-term goal. And I don't think it's very unrealistic at all. Um, rather than a collapse of the state, basically a transition away from the state being a state per se, uh, and just kind of being this organization that you can choose to pay attention to or not. So it sounds like to me then, since we last spoke, you've gone a bit more down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Well, I've been, I mean, if you look at Bitcoin Magazine, I did an interview with them in what, 2014? So I've been down this rabbit hole for a long time. But it wasn't, when we spoke last time, it wasn't a central argument like you had now. Maybe we didn't get into well, I'm just, it. In that maybe way. I'm, pre I'm just preaching a little bit to the choir. Um, <laughs> it's also that I just tend to avoid sometimes talking about Bitcoin given uh, Bitcoiners. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that though. Sure. Well, what's your issue with Bitcoiners? Um, they all, so they seem, no, it's not that, they, what's my issue <laughs> with Bitcoiners? It's either you're not talking about Bitcoin enough or you're talking about Bitcoin too late or you shouldn't be talking about other digital currencies. No, no matter what you do, you're not doing it right. Yeah, uh, you shouldn't be talking about other digital currencies. Okay. I agree with that point. Sure. <laughs> no, I'm okay with that. I mean, a, a large part of the crypto ecosystem, which has benefited people internationally, has been digital dollars. And a lot of Bitcoiners understand that, but you have to understand if you have that, you have Ethereum or Solana, the, sure. the technologies that people transfer those on. I think that's a, a position that's a, a evolving. But uh, I think... I think a lot of people want you to talk about Bitcoin more. <laughs> I know Bitcoiners do because they see you as a, uh, as a, as somebody who has a, a wider reach than maybe they have into other communities. So I think that's, that's one of the things they kind of hope. I'm happy to do that. But you've, 
I just don't need to hear your tweets about it. I don't mean you, Peter. Yeah. Well, I stopped tweeting. Oh. I stopped Have you? Head. Yeah, I, I, I quit about a week ago. Oh, well, week, what, ago. what made you decide to do that? Uh, it was turning me into a prick. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, I just... I know I just got fed up of it. Okay. Just, I don't think much is achieved on, like uh, either I'm going to troll sure. and fight and argue or I'm just not going to be on it because the middle ground of trying to do what, like what we're doing here is just have a conversation. You just can't do it. And I don't like that. Oh, I agree. I, I, that's just funny because a lot of times people would be like, you know, break down anarchism for me. I'm like, this is Twitter. <laughs> like you can't break down like the bill of rights. In 280 character uh, um, chunks, it makes no sense. This is completely the not a medium that is conducive to that. So, have you found? Obviously, you're you say you're probably one of the most prominent anarchists people know you as. Um, have you have you seen an uptick in book sales or interest in? Your well, the work? Anarchist Handbook, which came out in May, hit number three on Amazon. Okay, so it was the biggest nonfiction book, like for a few or for like almost a day. Um, so that was a major, major. Um, thing that took me completely by surprise. Like I thought, you know, I would just put this book out, which was a compilation of essays by anarchists of the past, uh, cause you know, needed to be out there. And I thought, okay, it's, it's just, it'll kind of put a pause while I'm writing my next book, The White Pill. And the reaction has been just completely uh, overwhelmed to the point where I did Jordan Peterson's podcast that week. And I didn't even mention it because it wasn't ready. And, you know, I didn't think it was gonna be a big deal. So having that sort of response and also not going through a publisher and publishing it myself. Uh, all of this was extremely gratifying and validating. And it makes me feel good, to be honest, um, to take the names of some people who had been kind of forgotten or don't get the accolades that I think they deserve. And in my small way to bring them back to public prominence. Well, who were the most prominent people you talked about in that one? particular ideas? Um, probably people like Emma Goldman, Alexander Berkman, Murray Rothbard, David Friedman are in there, uh, Josiah Warren, um, Valtteri Declare, um, Bakunin. Um, so those are kind of the, the, the big names. And, and why do you think there has been this growth in interest then? Do you think it's just everybody, like the, the shield has been, or the veil has been lifted on all the bullshit? I think there's a growth of interest in anarchism in part due to my work, of course, and other people. But I think when we people become red pilled and by which i mean they're understanding that what is being presented to them as a working or even ideal system does not at all comport to reality they start looking for alternatives and i think people who are intellectually curious are now at a point where it's like oh you know this is something when 20 years ago it was regarded as a joke and nowadays it still is, might be regarded as a joke, but there's enough people who I like who take this seriously. Let me find out what it's about at the very least as a thought experiment. So I think that kind of um, mainstreaming of a radical school of thought is also a testament to the internet because the internet allows instead of having, you know, four networks and you're gonna, choice is gonna be, you know, chocolate or vanilla and maybe that crazy network that has strawberry, you know, now you could have any flavor you want. Okay, so what's The White Pill? Oh, The White Pill is my next book. Can you tell us anything? Sure. It's um, one of the things I get a lot on social media is how are you optimistic? Because I'm obviously not some Pollyanna, people are nice, everyone's great, we're all going to get along type. Uh, and I think it's important that if you are going to be optimistic about the future, it has to be based on data. It has to be based like what makes you so optimistic. So it's the story of um, 
you know, the rise of the Soviet Union and its peaceful dissolution. Okay, I don't know enough about, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the rise of the Soviet Union. And that's by design. Yeah. So we are intentionally not taught uh, entire huge swaths of history because it would make certain people who are around today look very, very bad. Are, are you part Russian? I was born in Ukraine. You're yeah. bo oh, you were born in Ukraine? Yeah. I've been to Kiev. Oh, cool. Yeah, I went to Kiev. Uh, when, when did England play Sweden? <laughs> I went to a football game. Uh, Euro 2002 or something. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I went out, I went out there. I, I ate horse as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's weird taste. But yeah, I went out for the football. It was brilliant. Beautiful city. I yeah, I was... I haven't been back since I left when I was an infant. Okay. I was, do you know Chris Williamson? He's a British podcaster. He does um, modern ways. Anyway, no, we'll I was supposed out. to go with him to Moscow or St. Petersburg and Lvov, where I'm from. Uh, then COVID hit for my birthday, then COVID hit again. And now my tower I'm born is being bombed. So I don't know if it's ever going to happen. So what do we not know about the rise of the Soviet Union? What do we not taught? Um, any, I don't think we're taught any of it, are we? I, I mean, you were raised in Britain, obviously, so it's different for you. But here in the States, it's kind of like they just talk about, oh, we had to team with Stalin during World War II, and, that's, and then the Cold War happened. Like, yeah. I think that's the extent of it. And people are taught, you know, communism is bad, but they're not taught what it meant uh, and how wonderful it was when the Berlin Wall, like what, why is it such a great thing that the Berlin Wall fell? Like, what was that Berlin Wall? We're not taught about this. We're taught about other great historical atrocities, slavery, the Holocaust. Um, but when it comes to this, which was half the world for decades, you know, under the thumb of the state in the most depraved ways imaginable, uh, it's just not a subject for uh, um, discussion. And I'm, I'm going to put a stop to that. Um, okay. I mean, obviously I'm, I'll read it when it comes out, but do you think it's there's a purpose to doc tell people about it? Do you think it's well, of course? What do you mean? Well, no, but like, what is it? What is it they don't want us to hear? I think they don't want to hear how much blood they had on their hands, uh, because much of what was happening over there was being advocated for um, by Westerners, and and we're being told you don't understand what's going on, how great it is. It's all anti-Russian propaganda. Uh, you know, it, every every step of you know the. the concentration camps, uh, the show trials, the Holodomor where Ukrainians were starved in the millions was not only swept the wrong rug sometimes, but it was actually advocated for and glorified um, by Western intellectuals. Why were the Westerners advocating for this? Because they believed that this was the future and this was scientific and we're backwards with our 19th century uh, liberalism. Um, and this is the way to scientifically and have experts run a society. And that's why they're going to win and we're going to lose. Okay, well... Harold Lasky, who was head of the British Labour Party, would, in the 40s, I believe, was just blatantly talking about how, you know, we need to have a workers' revolution. So, but this, you're not even taught about this, right? Yeah, of course not. No, of course not. Yeah. No, um, I can't, to be honest, I can't remember much what I was taught about at school. You'd remember. <laughs> you're, it's not that you forgot. K Keynesian economics, uh, World War II. Yeah. Uh, yeah Henry VIII. What else did we get, Danny? But there's never this thing about World War II about how we had to make a deal with the devil to fight Hitler. Right. It's kind of like Hitler's really bad, all that true. Yeah. But when it comes to Stalin, it's kind of like he did some bad things. Like it's kind of out of the side of their mouth, let's move on. Like they kind of like, doop, doop, what do we call that? Um, TiVo, right? Like yeah. back and they just want to fast forward through this part. They don't really get into it. The, the, only, the only bit I've ever, I think I was taught was about the, the breakup of Germany right. after the war. Yeah. Right. 
it, was it originally split into four? Yeah. So Britain, France, yeah. the US, and Russia each had a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the only bit that we were right. taught. And I did see more about it, I think, when I was watching that, was it World War II in color? I think there's a bit more of it in there. But no, I, I mean, I, I have no understanding of it. I am really fucking sad what's happening there right now. I mean, it's obviously bullshit. How, how, do you consider yourself a Ukrainian then? Or do you say American, Ukrainian? I, I mean, I don't know what I consider myself at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, we spoke Russian at home and, you know, we were I, we were kind of like, if you're Jewish from that area, you identify more on some level with Russia than with Ukraine. Um, I am very disturbed to see what's going on there. Um, I'm also disturbed to see the saber rattling um, in the West as well, but I don't really know what to make of it. And I think uh, far too many people are of the belief that they're far too informed on the subject. Yeah. Um, obviously, when it first happened, I think most people come to some kind of opinion on it. And there is a broad set of opinions. But I think the thing I've really struggled with it, Michael, is this um, people are having to take a, a, a position of right. Russia's bad or this is NATO's fault or why have we not, why have we been funding Nazis in Eastern Ukraine? But and they they tend to stick to that one train. Yeah, and I've not seen many people who've collected it all up and said this is all fucking bullshit. Yeah, I, my dad just got out of Ukraine. He was doing business there, and and um, you know he was sitting next to this kid on the train who was crying that they were going to kill his father, and it really kind of got to him. Um, so I raised like five grand for um, Chef Joseph Andreas. I forget his organization. Basically, they feed refugees. And I'm like, all right, this is something that's unambiguous. If you're giving food to hungry people, that is something I can support and, and get behind. Uh, I was just very confused. And I remain confused as to how Putin thought this was going to play out. Now, people who are, you know, unintelligent will just hand wave away and say, oh, he's stupid or, oh, he's crazy. I'm like, well, crazy it's just a word that just covering up your ignorance because, okay, fine, he's crazy. What does his craziness entail, right? Um, after the Falklands with your girl, uh, the Iron Lady, you know, the principle was established that internationally you don't allow a country to invade and then, you know, not, and then basically get to keep some of it. You know, her whole point with Argentina and the Falklands is we could have diplomacy 365 days a year, but as soon as you start using force, diplomacy is off the table. You can't allow aggressors to get an inch of, uh, of uh, another country by that means. You're validating them. And we saw this with Kuwait as well, where it's just like, you know, whatever people think about the Kuwaiti war, but at least on surface, the principle is if you're crossing a sovereign territory, the international community is going to put a stop to this. So Putin surely knew. There's no way the guy who's a major figure in the KGB, who, who knows, who's a Machiavellian, knew if I cross this, there's going to be some repercussions. And it, it's impossible to me that he thought he's going to take Kiev and then NATO and the UN are going to be like, good show, old chap, it's yours now. Like, that's not a thing. So I, I am baffled uh, as to how he thought this was going to end up. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Level. Now, as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars. It's about replacing them. So while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. 
All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD, which is lvl.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. Next up, it's sportsbet.io. The very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up, it is Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about, wow, what is it, like four months now, and I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining, or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Also today, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. My friend Balaji sent me a couple. Oh, I know Balaji. You know Balaji? Course, yeah, yeah, he sent me a couple of videos and it was examples of um, advertising for the U.S. Army versus the Russian Army. So sure. the, I don't know if you've seen these, but the U.S. Army was about some girl with two mothers. And yeah, Wait, seriously, yeah. Have you not seen this? I, I thought that's like Daily Wire. Like, no, no, this is real. Danny, find that find that uh, advert for the. Um, we've stolen your friend Rogan's idea, and now we have. Oh yeah, we got, we got pull it up, <laughs> pull it up, tall Danny. Um, yeah, so there, there's these two adverts. You've got to see them side by side. Uh, one is for the U.S. Army. It's about a girl with two mothers. Have you got it? No. And then he sent me the one for the Russia Army, and side by side, and the Russian Army was a bunch of shaved-headed guys like doing press-ups in the snow with guns. And he compared the two. I've no idea if this is it. Is but... it a cartoon? Yeah. Yeah, this is it. 
24 this likes only. Of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. <laughs> Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet. I mean, you get the picture right. Played violin. I, 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 I also I, marched for equality. I can't. I, 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 wait, I, is this real? This is real. This is real. Balaji sent me this. When I was six years old, Keep it going, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again. But she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet. Eventually, standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful uh, okay, I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm confusion. Who are they targeting? <laughs> like children of two moms? How many people are there in America of two moms? I don't know. Maybe they targeting recruitment in California. Like I've been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring. Wait a minute! Yeah, no, 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 no! This is actually smart. How can you pause it? Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you why this is smart. Okay. I'll tell you why this is smart. It just clicked. Because when something is on its face so dumb, often it's actually brilliant and you're just not hearing the language. What am I missing? When I, what, this is what I was missing. When I was in college, they tried to have ROTC, which is, uh, I forget what that stands for. Basically it's army recruitment on campus. And this was a hugely controversial issue. And in many universities, you know, for decades, you had army recruitment on campuses. They were kicked off campuses, like especially the Ivy Leagues. This is destigmatizing the military for woke people. This is making them not think of the military as, as, an, an, out, as an out group, okay. but as basically the military is you just as it is the people from red states. So it's, it's doing a brilliant job of, of sanctifying the military in the eyes of like the worst people in the country. But does it then not turn off other people who maybe would have joined the army? But those other people probably wouldn't have seen those commercials. You, you, That's true, yeah, yeah. It's, we're not at, a, at the point in America and, and especially around the world where everyone's watching the same channels. Yep. When we were kids, you had three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. So, or you'd have the Super Bowl, you'd have the finale of, you know, MASH and, or Seinfeld. These would be events where you'd literally have like 50% of the nation watching it. That's never going to happen on anything. So they can basically talk to one group and the other groups are going to be completely oblivious. Huh. And the only way you'd find out about this is if a Balaji sends it to you. Find the Russian one now. Okay. Cause it's, it's good to, it's good to watch them side by side, Russian, just do Russian army recruitment. And you'll know it because it's got some shaved headed looking. And the thing is, is when you see them side by side, you think if these two groups go to war, kind of scared of the hardened Russians with their guns press yeah, ups but, in the snow. But at the end of the day, the Russians are being slaughtered now and we're not. Well, this is the point though. I, I, you know, is this, is this a clever uh, uh, myth that's been sold that this is a really well-organized, well-equipped Russian? Yeah, here we go. Look at this. <laughs> Wait, can you remind this? Remind this. I want to hear. I speak Russian. I want to hear. It sounds like your life has no meaning. Hold on. This is the first day in your life. What happened yesterday doesn't mean anything. What you were before doesn't bother anyone. What matters is who you'll be today. What do you know about yourself? 
Нарази, ты сможешь моему спокойно спать. You'll know the limits of yourself. The, the biggest enemy is who you were yesterday. Do you know what this is an ad for? Is it not the army? No, it's an ad for CrossFit. What? We have CrossFit ads like this. It's the same exact shit. About <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Your biggest enemy is yeah, who yeah. you were yesterday. Today's, you know, you're giving yourself meaning. It's, it's the same thing. But, but what my expectation is this is what the Russian army was like. And then the way we've seen it played that's out. That's the propaganda that's yeah. what it's like. But it's surprising how... But it's, all, it's also the propaganda that I think people who listen to like Matt Walsh think if you go to the army, everyone's going to be a drag queen. It's nonsensical. That's yeah. not the case at all. Yeah. I, I would be terrified and any of us would be terrified facing the US army. Yeah, of course. It's not of course, because I think a lot of conservatives are genuinely of the belief that everyone in the military is wearing lipstick and transgender. Yeah. But they're not, no, I mean, I'm perfectly aware when the US Army invades a nation, they're pretty quick and yeah. decisive. Yeah. yeah maybe um, peacekeeping isn't their, their biggest sure, quality, sure. but I, I was just surprised when the invasion, when I, when, when I heard it happen, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be quick and this is going to be bad for Ukraine. And they've kind of got their asses kicked. Or because I think at the same time, it seems like, and again, we're, we're in Plato's cave here with limited data and a lot of the data out there is intentionally misinformation. You don't want to show your hand that... I don't think Putin sold it well to his military. Uh, and they are do. you know, I have friends who, I have a friend, um, he's from uh, Czech Republic and his parents are involved in the international zoo community. And he was just telling me how they went to a zoo, I forget what city in Ukraine, and they, sh they killed two of the zoo employees and they shot an orangutan and two chimps. So this is the sort of thing where it's just like, it's just like, it's just senseless, you know, that, that sort of violence. Um, but it's very hard in my view to sell, you know, even that any kind of military on, we're just gonna go out and kill people for no reason. That, yeah. that, that's, that's not a good motivator. But you'll, you'll understand it more than I do in, in, in Russia. Um, there's obviously uh, been a negative reaction for the people there. The, the great cancelling of Russia is super weird as well. Yeah. But, but can any of this become a threat to him? To who? To Putin. Of course. I mean, if someone could put a, you know, well, do something yeah. personally. I, I'm, I'm sure he's not Stalin, right? So in every country, there are people behind the scenes. Look what happened to uh, Theresa May. Uh, she was UK prime minister and she was trying to get Brexit through and she bungled the snap election. And there was the 1922 or 23, whatever it's called, committee, yeah. sat her down and right, oh, it's all right, Teresa, it's time to go. Yeah. And she, they forced her to resign. Um, it's very clear that there was, if there was enough um, of a will in the cabinet, they could have 25th Amendment Trump. Um, and anyone of us can easily imagine Biden during the primaries, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg got a phone call. They said, Biden's the candidate you're endorsing tomorrow. They said, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, to whoever it was. We can easily imagine Biden being forced out of office um, by powerful forces um, within the government or the Democratic Party. So I, I obviously Putin is not entirely analogous to America or Britain, but to say that he's there with complete you know, unilateral control, I, I think is nonsensical. So do you think there's a chance this does 
there's a chance that Russia moves on from Putin? I think if they, I think that might be something that would allow, I, I would try to think of, okay, what, how does yeah. this end? Yeah, right? that's what I'm thinking. Right, so it's not going to end with he conquers Ukraine and everyone's like, all right, you have Ukraine and you're going to have sanctions. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that NATO or the UN invades Russia and deposes Putin. That's also not an option. So a realistic possibility is, all right, they don't have to have any consequences, but he has to personally take the fall and step down. That is something I think we can imagine is, okay, this is some um, conclusion that I think people would be happy with and they can move on with their lives. You can leave, he can leave with part of his money. Yeah. Like, we're not going to arrest you, but you're stepping down. You're going to be the fall guy. I made a mistake. They're going to put another, some other, you know, corrupt autocrat in power. Uh, the system's not going to change, but, you know, it's kind of like someone gets to be the fall guy. And is there any part of Putin that's been good for Russia? I was watching a, a documentary, Adam Curtis, do you know Adam Curtis? No. So Adam Curtis documentary is about uh, money around the world. And it talked about after Yeltsin, they tried to implement a kind of more of a free market economy and it really emboldened the oligarchs but was uh, devastating for most people. And when Putin came in, uh, he brought more order uh, and he said people want to be able to f feed their family and put their lights on. Uh, they care about that more than they care about freedom of speech. For sure. Is there some like truth to that? It's entirely true. HL, I use this quote every day, it seems like. Uh, and, and the lockdowns demonstrate this. H.L. Mencken, you know, who's a great curmudgeonly writer of the early 20th century, said, uh, the average man does not want to be free. He simply wants to be safe. Uh, and you can, you can see this all over the world, uh, even in the West, especially in places like Canada, Australia, and even in the States, uh, who supposedly, you know, we have our gun culture, but uh, people are certainly more than happy to bend over and take it from the government in the name of safety. So that's absolutely 100% the case. Would you say that was a net be benefit for Russia? What was? That that there was this like... Uh, oh, I don't know if it was a net benefit. I can't, I don't have enough information about that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, what do you make of the whole trucker thing? I, I, I mean, I, I think I know. I mean, I, I, as we speak, they're probably being tortured right now and no one cares about it. You think so? Oh, probably. I mean, what they did to January 6th people, they put them in solitary and uh, which is basically a form of torture. That was, uh, for me, one of the the biggest things of the last year where, where I felt like a threat to myself as a British person, considering a Western liberal democracy can descend itself into a position of closing down bank accounts just because you supported a cause. Right. I thought, you know, all my crypto friends were, I don't know about excited, but were like, one of the very clear unintended consequences of this is that a lot of people across all political persuasions are realizing the power of the banks. Uh, how willing the banks are to use this power um, and the dangers of fiat as opposed to a private currency. Which is why we push Bitcoin. And a lot of us have been starting to move to talk about the threats of the CBDCs. I don't know. Have you spent much time looking at those? What's the CBDC? Central bank digital currency. Oh, I mean, that's a complete Orwellian nightmare. I mean, that goes without saying. Yeah, but there's a lot of, lot of people in the Bitcoin space who are now start, starting to, at the same time while they promote Bitcoin, trying to raise people to the idea of the threats of CBDCs because they are, as you said, an Orwellian nightmare, but they seem to be something that is arriving. And uh, and the strange thing about it is like, I talk about my normie friends. When I go back to UK, which I'm doing today, I've got a group of friends, we hang out. We never talk about Bitcoin because they just shut the fuck up, Pete. They don't, they yeah. don't care. They've got it, zero interest. People don't understand who follow either of us or anyone else on the internet that they think that 
all I'm doing is either trolling all my friends or talking yeah. anarchism, and that I have many friends whose politics I don't even know, and they, they, they can't wrap their heads around this. Well, I've tried to explain, tried to talk through CBDCs and what they mean and what they are, and I get a, well, they don't sound so bad. It's like, oh, Peter, that's just a conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah that, that is another issue. Yeah. This is, um, this is another, that's a really interesting point you should say that, because uh, trying to walk a delicate line of understanding uh, different opinions of other people, I feel a draw towards the ideas that are considered conspiracies. And part of me, you might even have advice on this rather than comment, but part of me feels like I should push back on that because I don't want to sound like a, I don't want all these people to consider me as a nutter, but therefore not listen to the other things I talk about. I, you and I have different uh, goals, I yeah. think. You are trying to reach a broader audience and democratize certain ideas. I'm trying to alienate people who think in those terms and get like sleeper cells going. So <laughs> we have very different approaches. You laugh, but I'm, I'm dead no, no, serious. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I laugh because it's just it sounds interesting. I like I want to understand that more as a strategy. When you say sleeper cells, you want about uh, you're trying to create pockets of people who understand your ideas. Not necessarily my ideas, but the point is they're highly radicalized. Uh, very emotionally invested um, and very much see things as an us versus them and recognize, as you do, that for many of these issues, it's not like a difference of opinion about, okay, should we spend more on food stamps or more on education? These are arguments you have all day long. But there are certain the genuinely evil people who do not hesitate to sacrifice entire nations to further and maintain their hold on power. And that to have some kind of civil discussion about this is so missing the mark, it's not even funny. Well, I worry more about the, if if I, if I if went too far, the, the cancelling effects of that. And I can give you two great examples from the UK at the moment. Uh, Majid, you'll be aware of. Um, he was on a, he had a really uh, good show on a prominent radio station. Uh, and he started to discuss kind of challenging ideas, got labeled a conspiracy theorist. Uh, some of his colleagues started to attack him and he lost his radio show. Um, at, at the same time, he was bringing to the table really interesting topics that should be discussed. And then even more recently, Russell... But, but that's what I'm saying. Like his colleagues are the devil. So the idea that like this is a difference of opinion, if they are as a... That is a conspiracy. If you have a group of individuals who are independently working behind the scenes to suppress and silence you know, voices that they don't like. That is a conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy, in this case, fact and a conspiracy history. What, what, why do you think they do it? Do you think they, do you think they honestly hold their beliefs and they see him as a nutter or do they see him as somebody they can't, like, why does this happen though? Well, it's, it's a, there's a whole range. Yeah. So for some of them, it's simply that I would rather, they want to have control of the conversation and they want to be the one who is telling you what control that conversation is. So if I have someone over there, if I'm basically pre presenting myself as the proselytizer, like it's my job to tell the people what to think and how to act, and I have someone over here saying something else, from my perspective, he's almost like a heckler. Like I've got my job, I'm here to put out my propaganda, I'm here to tell people how to behave, this is how you govern a society voluntarily through everyone agreeing to listen to the BBC, and then you have, this freak whose name I can't even pronounce, no, 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 get out. 
So all right-thinking people know that sure, there's differences of opinion, but they're gonna be within a certain range and he's out of that range. So we have to, uh, he's upsetting the whole apple cart. So that I think is a large part of the psychology. I, I think, you know, it would behoove people to study evolutionary psychology. Uh, I th there's this quote ascribed to Upton Sinclair, which I don't remember who actually said it, where um, it's amazing, what, so I'm gonna bungle it completely, but it's amazing what people can be led to believe if their salary depends on them believing it. So if you, I have a very vested interest and my status and my position is based on this kind of ideology and worldview, anyone who is a threat to that isn't just somebody to disagree with, that person is a threat to my livelihood, my position. So then uh, all sorts of other things mentally as animals hum that human beings are start uh, um, falling into place. Also, you forget that, you know, they're all products of the universities who advocate the same kind of worldview. So they come to the perspective, not, you know, illogically that all right thinking people agree on certain things. So if you don't agree on those certain things that we all agreed on in college, you're not a right thinking person by definition. And it's certainly appropriate to marginalize you if not completely eliminate you from public discourse. It feels like here in the US, um, those who are on the right or consider of conservatism or Republican, uh, being a Republican is more pejorative than it is in the UK. It does exist. If you're a conservative in the UK, you're considered maybe somebody who is selfish. And That's off. What's that? A toff. A yeah, tosser. Tough. Yeah, a tosser. A tosser, a toff. Um, uh, you, you probably went to certain school, like because traditionally the Conservative Party have people who went to schools like Eton, but you're considered, but it's less pejorative than here in the US. You will have people, famous actors and such in the US who will be, uh, sorry, in the UK who will be conservatives. It feels like here it's, it's uh, it's a career risk to some people too. To yeah, and that's happened recently because even if you look at like the 80s with Reagan, you had prominent celebrities endorsing him and he was quite conservative, especially by historical standards. Um, but now that that, I mean, it's, it's, it absolutely is. Uh, they've kind of locked down certain swaths of media and entertainment. And I, to me, uh, and there's two ways of looking at this. One is this shows things are getting worse and they're more in control of the mic. To me, it seems like, a sign of desperation and losing control of the mic. Because if you really, like, let's suppose you're a dad in the house and you have kids running around, you don't care what they say. Like they can run around, say whatever they want. Oh, I'm the king of England. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm cops and robbers, whatever game. Cool, you just say whatever you want. There's no question, this is my house. But if you are saying things that are threatening my position, then I really got to lock things down. So there's two ways of looking about whether this is a sign of their strength or a sign of their weakness. I'm very much of the mindset that this is a sign of their weakness, especially because it is very deleterious to any creative endeavor to have strict limits on what that creativity can entail. I was a business major and one of the things we talked about is you have a brainstorming session and you're gonna throw out 90% of the ideas are gonna be just awful, just completely stupid. But I might say something that'll spark something in you and we're gonna to get to a good idea or a good solution. If you have you know, strictly delineated areas of discourse within creativity, that has very negative consequences in terms of outcomes and in terms of engagement and, and uh, especially in a population uh, that is excited to see some no novelty. You know, it has nothing to do with the ideology. It's like, especially with the internet age, you want something new, want something fresh. If you're saying it's gotta be in these ossified parentheses, that's really gonna be a problem for me in terms of attracting a population, whether in terms of entertainment or in terms of politics. We had that, uh, I used to work in advertising before yeah. I did this and uh, whenever we brainstorm ideas, the only word that was banned was no. Yeah. You could not say no and we would get a collection of that's, ideas. That's the N word. Yes, the N-word. You want to say the N-word. You want to say no. 
Um, but that was banned because you didn't, even though an idea might be bad, something good might come out of the bad idea. Exactly. I remember, th- and this was like 10 years ago, a friend of mine was part of doing improv in LA and they were both Quasimodo and what, they're pulling the bell in Notre Dame and he just opens with, boy, there sure were a lot of black people in church today. And the person's like, scene. And they just cut it there. And it's like, like, relax. Like this can go in a very bad direction, but this is humor. It's as improv, it go in a funny direction. And actually, since it's improv, it is the role of the other Quasimodo to steer it, not in a malevolent direction, but in a humorous direction. But if you're having these entire uh, subjects that are off limits in the realm of comedy, you're going to, in certain contexts, come off as humorless, which is a big problem, especially when you're trying to attract the young. Well, isn't isn't comedy? Isn't they maybe refer to that as the the last bastion of free speech? Yes, yeah, but absolutely. It, but now that appears to be under attack in it's, some it's, ways. It, I mean, it's always been under attack. I mean, look at Lenny Bruce in the '60s. I mean, you, you know, when we were maybe 20 years ago, having women talking about their periods on stand-up was, oh my God, it's so shocking. And now it's just yawns and we've all heard it before. So there's always going to be elements, whatever the subject is, where comedy is shocking. It is under attack. I don't know if it's comedy under attack per se as certain comedians, right? Or, so, or speech, in, it just feels like here in the US, speech in general is being challenged. But I think it's being challenged as opposed to silenced. So again, with the rise of the internet, the rise of social media, anyone can kind of put their video out there, put their tweets out there. And of course, some people are picked off one by one. But before that, you, you couldn't have entire subjects that you would ever discuss. You couldn't have entire worldviews that ever discuss. You had huge chunks of population that could never get their point of view heard. And now it's, uh, although there's certainly problems with cancer culture and so on and so forth, it's gone massively in the right direction. And I think concerns about the power of big tech, not their motivation, which are purely malevolent, but the power of big tech to silence schools of thought and ideas is much less than people uh, both on the right and the left think it is. All right, what about wife jokes? What about it? <laughs> Should they be allowed on Oscar ceremony? No, White or wife? Wife. Well, women aren't funny, so already you're like kind of you're they're having a step back. But yeah, my daughter's pretty funny. Is she? Yeah, she kills me. Okay, tell me one of her jokes. Um, okay, I can't think of a specific joke. It's more the way she behaves. Okay, like, yeah, uh, full on. Well, kids are hilarious. Yeah. Kid logic is hilarious, and the way she swears at me, even though oh. I tell her she can't swear. Oh, good lord! Okay, yeah, she's a. Uh, you come? I doubt you're coming to the Bitcoin conference. Are you coming to the Bitcoin no, conference? No, I'm not. Gonna go. You should come along. There's a. Re- I'll tell you why off the air. Why I can't go? Okay, we'll talk about that. Okay, so let's um, let's start to loop this up. Um, what's the goal here? Because uh, last time we spoke, you talked a lot about the evil nature of mainstream media, and I'm majority with you but not entirely i do think there's people who do good work in the mainstream media there are people who are who want to be good journalists uh i hope for a lot of them they end up realizing they can make more money and have more freedom being independent they have all the tools and the technology out there but but what is the end goal here is is it is a good point is media the best point to start with this start with i don't with moving society away from control and institutions because Trying to trying to attack from within government seems very difficult. It's a it's a big beast. But there's been a lot of success in in the media side of things, independence, podcasts, yes, writers. Is that a, is that one of the most effective places that people who care about this can work? Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, if you see the hand wringing at the New York Times where they're trying to make Substack basically an outlet for white supremacy, uh, when you have CNN 
ringing Brian Stelter being like, how is it that these random YouTube uh, shows have a bigger audience than us? We're CNN. It's like, it, it, and it, it's never actually said, it's just like, oh, you know, they can say what they want, but we have rigorous standards and so on and so forth. It's like, you know, you're doing segments on how Trump's tweets and how many scoops of ice cream he had. So let's, let's, uh, and you're, you have literal pedophiles on your staff that are getting arrested. You people are, uh, if not the devil, at least the devil adjacent. So their um, existential despair should be a source of great joy to reward all good, the good people um, across the country. Um, the next and last leg, which I am most hopeful for and most excited about is going to be a full-blown assault on the universities because that's when the poisoning starts. And as humorless and self-righteous and you know reprehensible corporate journalists are, they are far better in all those metrics than university professors who are both probably the worst people and also the worst quality people um, in terms of the elites of society. And they are not gonna be positioned to defend themselves because if I'm a journalist, I have an editor. So if I put that article, I still, I'm going to have that confrontational adversarial relationship with someone who's my boss, who's going to be looking over, you know, and, and my colleagues, I'm going to be on Twitter. I'm going to be hearing it, you know, from both the masses, whether I'm Republican or Democratic journalist, uh, but also from my colleagues, you know, putting me on blast. Professors don't have that. They're the only people they're engaged with are college students who are, you know, let's by and large, complete simpletons and who's. <laughs> Important. It is important for them to curry favor with you because you have power over them. You have their grade, and if you have tenure, there's really nothing that can be done to you. So when when the good guys come for the academics, not only is that going to be just a glorious, glorious victory, and it's imminent, um, it's also going to be the most lopsided victory. How, how does that happen? How do you go after the university? Do you just? Is it that? The realization that you don't need to go and get hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars of debt to get a job. That's part of it. When you have all, just like with podcasting and, and yeah. Substack, it's it's and with my book, with with uh, the, my next book or Dear Reader, the North Korean book. My I did it through Amazon self publishing program. My page on Amazon looks the same as a book by HarperCollins. It's, they're both going to have a page. I made sure it's it looks professional because a lot of self-published books, you know, just on site, you know, this is some crackpot in his basement. Um, but in terms of quality, they're going to look identical on the page. So as you have someone who's like more and more companies say, okay, maybe you have a degree from Columbia, but this person spent age 17 to 21 building his own company and now has some kind of t-shirt store online and has made, you know, six figures they are both going to be increasingly regarded uh, as, if not equal, then this one's become more valuable because I'd rather, many people would rather hire someone who's made it happen than someone who's read books about how to make it happen. So that is going to be one healthy way. Another thing is just like social media, specifically TikTok has made so many parents of all political persuasions realize that many of those school teachers who are raising children are literal demons they are going to see, wait a minute, these academics are not at all impressive people. Uh, and in fact, are just really just the dregs and are marginally intelligent and should not be given any sort of accolades or respect. Um, I am blown away by what I've seen on that lives of TikTok. Like, oh, yeah. I literally cannot, cannot understand. All it. they had to do was keep their mouths shut and they couldn't even do that, right? It's, it's the range of things. It's not, a, I mean, not even just the schooling, it's these regular videos of, of groups of people just going into shops and taking things. I, oh, I, yeah. I can't understand that. Um, but it's um, 
the volume of videos from people who are discussing, talking about sexuality with kids in classroom, which that doesn't happen with my kids and it wouldn't. And livid that you would think that this them. is a problem. Or, or livid that, that a seven-year-old misgendered them or yeah. crying because uh, I can't understand. I can't understand that. As, uh, my, my kids go to school to learn a range of things, history, geography, science, whatever. These issues that are happening here in the US aren't happening in the UK schools yet. Not to say it won't happen, but I would be far more concerned with my kids in school here. It's fucking weird. I, I, I'm glad to hear that for your country. Uh, that's very good to hear. Um, and it's weird is a word that kind of has a lot of meanings. Uh, I think it's evil mm -hmm. um, what's being done to many of these kids. Uh, I think the people who are you know wreaking this havoc on children are just 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 really reprehensible, despicable people. And I'm joyous at how much distress they are proclaiming, if not actually feeling on social media, and also how angry they are that instead of being treated with the veneration that they'll be glad to tell you they deserve, they're being treated with suspicion, if not outright contempt. And I'll just point people yeah. to the Norm MacDonald bit where he was talking about school teachers. Uh, it was just absolutely glorious. So rest in peace, Norm. Okay, man. Danny, anything you want to ask Michael? No, I think we're all good. Michael, this is a wrap, man. This oh, that was is, it? Yeah, yeah we, we t our shows are a lot shorter. Anything else you want to talk about? I mean, oh, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't, you, you don't you, we don't do three hour shows here. Oh, okay. we, we don't have enough time. I didn't realize this. it was an hour and a half, though. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was fast. Okay, cool. Um, if people want to buy your books, where do they go? Anarchisthandbook.com. Anarchisthandbook.com. Well done. Um, congratulations on self-publishing as well. I'm, I'm sure you get a lot more of the money. You um, get, uh, so, so if you, this is of use to the listeners. If I go through Ballantine or HarperCollins or whatever, I get $1 in royalties for every book I sell. If I self-publish, I get $8 in royalties for every book I sell. So I would need to sell an eighth uh, to get an equal amount of money through Ballantine through self-publishing. But that also implies that Ballantine or St. Martin's or whatever would make it so I sell eight times as many books, which is nonsensical. I'm the one who's selling the books and increasingly publishers will tell you they only give book deals to people who have an audience already. Well, if I have an audience, what the hell do I need you for? So we're going to get rid of the teachers, the professors, the, the, the state, the, the, the police, state, the police. Yeah. Anyone else? Oh, I, I've, I've got a list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great to talk to you, man. Good Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for coming on. And My pleasure. Yeah, Baskin Robbins, yeah. All right, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 